Well, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me all right? Is my mic live? Good. What a pleasure and privilege it is to be with you uh, this morning. Yes, I'll, uh, I'll put a little, little preface to um, that note about my past as an actor. I always like to, you know, when, when that does come out, when your testimony does come out, it's good to understand that that's something that I personally see Lord has saved me out of. And, uh, you know, I always put it like this, that once sanctification becomes the most important part of your life, something like an acting career will get in the way of that. Um, but that's just sort of a side note. And maybe, in fact, it sort of will be sort of tied into our topic for today, and maybe I can sort of work in a few of my thoughts on that in this message. But yes, what a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. As uh, Mark said, I'm from Connecticut, so I feel like I'm at home a bit with the snow and the trees and all of that, because you don't have snow or trees in California, really. Uh, just desert and sand. Um, but yes, what a joy. Thank you, Pastor Oliver. Thank you to all the elders for having me. Um, thank you, Mark and Diana, for your hospitality and your warm home. And um, it just so happens to be this week, Pastor Oliver's 20th wedding anniversary. So congratulations to you and Angela. And it's sort of special for me to feel like, yeah. <laughs> Amen. It's sort of special to think that I may have, uh, by coming here, offered you a little extra time for you lovebirds to you know, celebrate. So that's kind of neat and special. Um, and praise God for this church. I've gotten to hear a little bit about your story and how even in the midst of a pandemic and things like that, the church is growing. And praise God. And I know that it's because of the faithful teaching of the Word of God. Uh, we take that very serious at the Master's Seminary. Um, and we know that is what brings people in because that is what changes lives. And that is what brings us closer to knowing the Lord. So um, thankful to the Lord for what he is doing at this church. Um, but today we're going to be discussing a very important topic. And um, it's a topic that I'm going to call understanding the playing field of the Christian life. The playing field of the Christian life. And uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and get that pre prepared and ready to read from. We'll be in 1 John, we'll be looking at chapter 2. Um, and we'll be discussing the playing field of the Christian life. And you know what, before we do that, I'm going to start a timer. Okay. Um, now the playing field in any sport is a very important element in understanding how that sport functions. Right? And as a result, understanding how the playing field functions has an impact on how one might understand how they function in it. Let's take, for example, a baseball field. A baseball field is specifically designed around how the game of baseball is played. And when you hit the ball, if you didn't knock it out of the park and have a homer, your job is to now run around the bases. Your job is to run around the bases with the goal of getting all the way around and scoring a point. They call that the diamond. And the diamond is specifically shaped around the way that the game is played. And the rules of the game dictate that. The rules of the game and the way that the field is set up function together. If you didn't understand the rules of the game, you could potentially hit the ball and run straight into the outfield where you would eventually meet a wall and an outfielder who is just staring at you strangely. And of course that would be humorous to everybody watching, but ultimately what's happening is you're risking losing the game. You are risking being successful at the thing that you're there to do. And even defensive positions are determined by the shape of the field and the rules of the game. Right? This way a team can position themselves 
in a way that would enable them to potentially get the runner out. Right? If you're running around the bases, it makes sense to put a defensive player near the bases close by. So understanding that field is now starting to build how we understand how to function on that field. And it's also crucial to understand how the field works because understanding how the field works will dictate the preparedness of the players. Take, for example, this. You put on your big shoulder pads. You put on your jersey with the number you've been wearing since you were a kid. You have your padded pants. You tie up your expensive cleats. You put your black grease under your eyes. I say John 3.16, and you put your helmet on. You strap your chin, and you're ready to go. You are a big, mean football machine. And then you get up onto the starting block. You take two steps. You look down, you realize you see your reflection. You look to the left, you look to the right, and you realize you're surrounded by guys in Speedos and goggles. You, sir, are not prepared for that game. You have misunderstood the playing field. Already we can start to understand the importance of why we have to understand the field that we're playing on. And today we're going to be speaking about the, the playing field of the Christian life. And our Father in Heaven wants us to understand it so that we can play the game properly. Now, obviously, life is a bit more important than a game. It's very serious. But the principle stands. And knowing the field helps the Christian function and maneuver and make decisions that are aimed at completing the goal of the Christian life. Right? Which is what? To bring God glory in that life. If that's our goal, and it is a big goal, it's a lofty goal, and it's a serious goal, we better understand how to function on the playing field of life. So if you have your Bibles, I hope it's turned to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be focusing on verses 15 to 17. Let's go ahead and read it together. Verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God continues forever. Now the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle John, I'm teaching through the book of Ephesians, I have Paul in the brain always, the Apostle John gives us some very clear and serious instructions in this passage. Now, generally in this letter, John is talking about and taking on the task of clearly identifying a true Christian. And in our section, he's doing this by explaining the playing field. This section is about the world. Now, we see it just mentioned five times alone in our three verses. So, the world around us, the world that we live in, is the playing field of the Christian life. And understanding it is crucial to our success at honoring Jesus Christ and living in a truly obedient way. And I think now more than ever is a time that the Christian must firmly understand the world around them. We must understand in the midst of, this, of the world that we live in exactly how God has designed us to function. Now more than ever with a government encroaching and, and taking, uh, increasing in their control of things, including the church how much we should be praying for Canada, who is struggling so much with the churches. Persecution is coming. How about secular education that keeps getting worse and worse and worse? Mandates causing people to lose their job. 
we as Christians need to understand the playing field that we're speaking of is the world around us. And John is going to teach us three ways about functioning in this world. Three ways that are designed to help shape a biblical perspective that every Christian must have of the world. So using our sports analogy, we're going to see this. Number one, our perspective towards the field, verse 15. Then we're going to see our perspective towards the players, verse 16. And then our perspective past the stadium, verse 17. So let's go ahead and look first at verse 15 and let's see what God via his Holy Spirit and through the Apostle John has to say to shape our perspective of the playing field. Verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All right, well John first starts off by telling us how we should be feeling towards the world. He says don't love it, don't love it. Before he even begins to describe the world, he wants to make it clear how the believer must think about it, right? Before we walk onto the playing field, we must have a predetermined attitude towards it. We've heard the expression of the love of the game, right? The best athletes have a love of the game, and they step onto the court or they step onto the field with that love of the game, and it is a part of their motivation. It's a part of how they function. We need to do the same as Christians. We must be prepared in our hearts. Right? We don't walk on neutral. We don't want to walk on indifferent. And we don't want to walk on oblivious to what is happening around us. We want to walk on with purpose. We have established in our hearts that we do not love this. This field that I'm on, I don't love it. End of story. I'm ready to go. Okay? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean not to love? Well, it's simple. Not to love means this. Not to have affections for. Not to pursue actively. Not to see value in. Not to accept willingly in one's life. Right? So it's basically the opposite of how you would pursue something you do love. You have affections for things that you love. You pursue it. It has value in your life and you willingly accept it because it's worth loving. But this world is designed not to be loved by the believer. And it starts with a firm disposition in the heart. And we know that generally speaking, love is very important to God. John tells us in our book, in chapter 4, he says, verses 8, the one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. And the way the Christian knows that he's a true believer is because he has a desire to love the way that God loves and the way that God instructs. In that same chapter, 1 John, John says, we love because he first loved us. Meaning that true salvation is understood to be a gift to the sinner. A gift that comes out of the merciful love of God. Resulting in in the sinner's love for God. Salvation comes out of the outflowing of God's love to us. We respond in love. What a beautiful cycle. And we can understand why the Lord would want us to guard what we love. 1 Corinthians 13 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. John emphasizes this in his gospel, saying, A new commandment I give to you, Christ is speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Love is so important that the world sees Christ in us. We are identified as Christ's disciples by how we love one another. What we love is extremely important, and it is to God. Why? Why is it so important to God? Well, because it's designed to produce something in the believer's life. Love is designed to produce something in the believer's life that God wants. And that matters greatly. It's so important to God that he wants to protect what the believer's heart loves. He does not want us to share our love with the world. And we are going to see very clearly why in this text. So with that in place, John then describes the playing field. As Christians, we have the duty to look around us and understand what's happening. Understand the field that we are on. To understand how it functions so that we can perform properly. And this is a very biblical concept. 1 Peter 1.13 tells us, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ very purposefully preparing our minds for action. The Christian life is action, and our playing field is the world. So let's go ahead. Let's define terms. What's the world? Well, the world is used 23 times alone in 1 John, and he uses it three distinct ways, which will help us understand it and will help you understand it as you see it in your normal studies. One way is the created world. The earth, the things that the Lord has created, the earth around us, the trees, the snow, the mountains, the ocean, these are the things that the, that the Lord has created. We see that in John 4, verse 1, where he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The false teachers have gone out on foot to the physical landscape of the world. He also says in verse 9 of chapter 4, By this love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Christ came down in human form and did what? He walked in the physical world. He navigated the terrain, the physical world. The second way John uses the word world is to describe peoples, the people groups, the human race. In John 3.1, we see him say, 1 John 3.1, See how great a love the Father has given us, that the world be called children of God, or that we would be called uh, children of God, and in fact we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it does not know him. Well, the world that did not know us is a collective group of unbelieving people. These are people he's speaking to. In chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Same group of people. And what about the most famous verse in the Bible? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Well, he didn't come to save the land. He didn't come to save Spokane, as special as it is. He came to save people. He came to save people. So we have the, the, the created world... The physical world being referred to as the world and then we have people oftentimes referred to as the world and then we have the third way that the world is used which is our way of using it today in our in our section here John is referring to the world as the system of living the system of living in this world 
Now, if we're going to be sticking to our game analogy, these are the rules of how people would play the game in the world. And we must know that out there in the world, there's a system. There is rules. Now, it might seem like a free-for-all. Oftentimes, oftentimes, it feels like a free-for-all. But in fact, there are very specific rules, and there's a very specific system that is functioning out there. It's how things function. This shouldn't be a surprise to us, necessarily, but we must understand it. The world we live in is not a neutral place, right? It's a very specific place that has a very specific team and a coach, and this team is being, playing with very specific rules, and they have very specific objectives. And it's beneficial for the Christian, who is also on the same play, uh, playing field, to understand what is happening. And on top of that, this system, this team with a coach, is trying to get you to play for them. So, so, so what? what? Why all the effort? Why not love this? Very simple. We're going to break down what this system is. The world system is a function and a thinking that is opposed to God's truths. It's a system that lives without being motivated by God's truths. And in fact, it's designed to be the very opposite, to be a life without God. It's designed to be a system that completely disregards and purposefully opposes God. How do we know? Well, let's look to see what John tells us more in, in 1 John. Chapter 5, verse 19, we, he says this, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Well, that's Satan. And what do we know about Satan? Well, John says in, in chapter 3, verse 8, that the one who does what is sinful is the devil, is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Following Satan are people who are living according to his system. Satan is the coach out on that playing field in the world. He is the propagator of the system. He is the energy and motivation behind that system. And we know from the very reason of why he was kicked out of heaven that his goal has always been to try to be like God and now to interfere with God's work. John gives us a very sort of unique image of that in the book of Revelation. Revelation 12 verse 17 says this, So the dragon was enraged with the woman. The dragon Satan enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Satan is at war with God's people. He's not neutral. He's not playing games. He has a goal. His system, his team is trying to defeat God's people. And what about in John's gospel? John 8:44 says, "You are of your father the devil, and you will and your will is to do your father's desires." And he was a murderer from the beginning. And has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. And then Paul, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, tells us more about Satan in this world. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rules, rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Hate, Satan's hatred for God is what makes the world system a system that is perfect, purposely designed to exclude God. Purposely designed to keep people away from God. John finishes this verse with a very strong statement. He says, if you do love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Strong. Well, why? why? Why can't he say that? And the reason is because how could a true believer in Jesus Christ love the thing that purposefully opposes his God? Love the things that the enemy of our faith is purposefully doing. It's like you step onto the playing field, you look up to see the opposing team, and there's Satan. There's the coach of that team. Welcome to the world. A true believer is going to respond appropriately, especially when he understands the coach, understands what the team is doing, understands how they're playing, sees the field. He understands how to respond. And the true believer will respond with the opposite of love. He can't love it. It's impossible. Luke 6 13 tells us, No servant can serve two masters, for either he's going to hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. Now, this love of the world is an ongoing love. Let me make a distinction. Just like the not loving is an ongoing not loving. So, we're talking about consistency. We're talking about consistency in a perpetual heart. Because why? We, of course, are capable of sinning. We, of course, are capable of finding ourselves loving the world in many different ways in many different times. And this instruction, this very passage, is designed to help us identify it. It's designed to help us pause, take inventory, check our gear, and adjust, and to make adjustments. And in this case, make sure that our perspective of this playing field, of the world around us, is proper, is biblical. And we know that there's room for that because within 1 John, we have one of the most amazing verses, uh, 1 John 1.19, where it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Which tells us a part of the Christian life, a part of the not loving the world is in fact that we sin. But the sinner doesn't stay. The sinner comes to the Lord in repentance. We should all be growing in this idea or this tendency of discontentment with the world. Right? We have no choice but to function within this system. But when we are pursuing the Lord in the way we're supposed to, and we are constantly putting effort towards pursuing God's ways, that will always make it uncomfortable for us when we are exposed to the world, when we butt heads with it, when we come up against it. And we will respond out of our love for God. Choosing to love God over choosing to love the world. The thing that is opposed to God. Now, you may have noticed that in the verse, uh, John doesn't only say, don't love the world, but he also says, don't love the things of the world. Okay, he gets specific. Because if we're going to walk onto the field and be prepared, we must know the distinctions between the world system and God's system. Right? It's not enough to know that there's opposition. We need to know how. And this is our second point. That was our perspective on the playing field. Perspective of who the coach is of that team. The perspective of 
how it comes against Artin, our great God. And you can see how that's going to begin to build your perspective, making it easy to say, yeah, yeah, no, I don't want that thing. But our second perspective is a perspective on the players. On the players. Because understanding how the system works and how the system works through people is very important. Right? Because we even know that when we're using this game analogy that you can watch a team, you know what the team is doing, but individuals are skilled in many different ways. And it's important to understand the game that they're playing from an individual perspective. John says in verse 16 this, for our second point, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Three very important aspects of the world that make it something that the Christian should not love. It's a trio of sinfulness, if you will. In the system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life reign supreme. This is their gameplay. Crack open their game book, that's what you're going to see. They are motivating by the world's desires of these things, and it is, it is motivating their decisions on the, on the playing field. And all of these things are sinful. Right off the bat, we should say, oh, sinful. Hold on. But let's break them down. Let's break them down individually quickly so we can get an understand, a deeper understanding and perspective of how this world functions. The lust of the flesh. What is this? What's the lust of the flesh? Well, interesting, this, this can be looked at at two different ways. And ultimately, they result in the exact same thing. Um, one way is to look at it as this. Even as believers, we understand that we have uh, the ability to sin. Why? Because we still have within us what's commonly referred to as the flesh, the sinful part of us. We see Paul talking about it in Galatians 5.17 where he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposing to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul to the Galatians is showing that inside the believer there is conflict between the sinfulness that remains and the new man who, via the Holy Spirit, is actively pursuing the Christian life, actively pursuing not sinning. And when we do sin, which we all do, we are ultimately doing what? We are giving into a temptation. Where does that temptation come from? Your flesh. Your flesh. The other way of looking at the desires of the flesh are to see them as normal or even good desires that all people have. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, sexuality, which is inherently a good thing, is perverted in the world. Desires to work become a perverted way of supporting idolatry. Communication, which is a wonderful thing given to the Lord, becomes perverted in the world with anger and slander and gossip and jealousy and all of those things perverted. And why? Why does this happen? Why do good desires that come from us get perverted in the world? Because out in the world is a system that does not consider God but only self. They say, forget your God. I want to satisfy my desires without hindrance. I want to identify and define what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. I want a world void of God. That's what team world wants. 
That's what people, how people are functioning in the world. And a world void of God should naturally be the most unappealing thing or the unappealing place for a true believer. Well, what about the lust of the eyes? Well, the eyes are a very unique gift from God. The eyes are a unique gift, not inherently bad. In fact, in Romans, Paul tells us this. In Romans 1, 19 through 20, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Through the eyes, we see the magnificence of God's creation. We see the ultimate wisdom and ability in the intricacies of this world. And it contributes to our knowledge of him, contributes to our affection for him, because ultimately these things, these beautiful things such as trees, are gifts to us. But the eyes are also a means of temptation. Why? Because they are uniquely connected to our desires. They have the ability to see and they have the ability to stimulate. And without any reason or without any resistance, we will give in to those desires. They will lead to sin. If there is no resistance, they will lead in to sin. Now we're seeing that in the world. They might not call it sin, but we identify it as sin. Matthew 5.28 is a wonderful example. It says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. This is an example of something being perverted. The world's system purposefully does this. They are purposefully striving to appeal to our eyes. This is very important. They are purposefully trying to present the opposite sex in every media form possible, in an appealing way, so that the viewer will lust after it. In some way or another, it is purposefully designed to be appealing to the eyes. Ultimately, what that does is it draws them into whatever's being sold. Right? Our consumer-driven society is riddled with what? Advertisements designed to stimulate the senses. The senses that then draw out cravings from us and longings influence our thinking. Even our phones are designed to pull us in. And not just pull us in, to maintain our attention. So that apps and websites can make money. TV, movies, magazines, these things are designed to fill our eyes with the excitements of the world. Not all of those things are inherently bad, but when celebrated in the wrong way, when continually consumed and done so void of how God defines those things, this verse is telling us that we will be tempted and we will be tempting the desires that live inside our flesh. We have to understand they exist. They exist. And your eyeballs are connected right to it. Now why? Why does that happen in the world? Well, because the lack of inclusion of godly perspective, the lack of righteousness, gives them the opportunity to have nothing to press up against. They can enjoy it because they have no conviction. They have no conviction because they're not considering the ways that God asks us as believers to live. 
And the question becomes for us, how much are we walking this line? Are we walking the playing field, sort of ignoring the game? Are we sort of ignoring that there's a system going on around us that's like this? That it's actually dangerous? Not seeing the opposing team for who they really are? Not seeing the coach kind of hiding and watching the game, instructing his team? Are we allowing ourselves to be influenced by something that God hates? These are big questions to ask, but they're very serious. God's, the world system is designed to cause you to sin. It's obvious that the Christian should have a perspective on that, a strong one. Are we ignoring the sinful flesh that still lives in us? We should be very aware of it. Why should we be aware of it? Because you can't be saved without being aware of it. You can't be saved until you have a a deep and clear understanding of your sinfulness and how it is an offense to a holy God. Because that understanding builds the need. When the Lord graciously opens up our eyes to the truth of of our sin, we have now the ability to see our need of salvation. What we do, we cry out for that. We have a need. We cry out for that repentance. And it all comes down to a sincere understanding of our sin through humility. We need to have this humility when we're sort of looking at this world system, saying, sure, I see all that that's out there. I'm good. No, you're not. You're susceptible. We need to be on guard. We need to be strong. Well, what about the boastful pride of life? The boastful pride of life. Boasting, bad. Pride, bad. Life here is interesting. It has the connotation and can actually be translated possessions. So if you put these things together, we see that someone, we see someone boasting pridefully about their life, specifically about the material possessions they have. Now, this is, this is no surprise to us. That's the world we live in. Materialistic, things-driven world. And the Apostle Paul is pointing out that specifically. Sorry, John is pointing that out specifically as something that is negative, a part of the thing that we are not to love. We need to take that in. The world system does not consider God. He is not their provider. He is not their sustainer. He is not their value. They to themselves are these things. They are boastfully overconfident with their resources and with their wealth and with their status and with their jobs and all of their things. And they're pridefully taking credit for what they have. And even if they don't have, what are they doing? They're spending every waking moment trying to get, organizing their lives to have more. Organizing their lives to have more status and more things and more money. Pursuing. You can see where their heart's craving is going. Because when you don't have God, what are you? You're left with yourself. But we know even more specifically that the world rejects God with the intention of being left with self. Listen to Psalm 10, 14. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there's no God. There's no God. And what does that do? Freeze him. Freeze him from responsibility. Freeze him to do whatever he like, whenever he likes, giving into whatever sinful desires are coming from inside. This image is the opposite of what we see from John the Baptist, right? I must decrease. Christ must increase. That world system out there, that team, is focused on self. That is their goal. No God, self. To the Christian, 
Christ must reign supreme in our hearts, not ourselves. The world is obsessed with status. The world is obsessed with status, and that is oftentimes reflected in possessions. But listen to what Luke says in chapter 12, verse 15. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay, fine. But it says be on guard. Covetousness, bad, yeah. Be on guard. Possessions, abundance, okay. But be on guard. Okay. That's what we're building here. Understanding how the world functions helps us be on guard. Why? Because all of these things we're talking through is sin. We don't want to sin. The Christian life is devoted to not sinning. And you've got to remember, this is just not a matter of identifying, right? This is so that we can stand on the field and we can acknowledge exactly what's around us and how it's functioning. And that includes guarding. And that includes how the other team works. Why? Because we're meant to prevent these things in our lives. What if there was a 300-pound lineman crouched down before you, staring at you in the eyes? Well, you better know what his intentions are because his intentions are to run you over, to eat you alive. But if you know, you can respond. You can brace. You can push back. You can move out of the way. You have the opportunity even to utilize the situation for your benefit. But you have to understand what he is trying to do. Now, remember, we are capable of all of these sins. This is why this acknowledgement is so critical. How did James describe a very unique issue in the church in James chapter 4? I'll, I'll read it for you quick. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is, it not the source, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Sounds a lot like the world system. Well, that's because it is. And this is an example of worldliness and unbelievers coming into the church and influencing it and affecting church life. We can't be ignorant of the sinfulness that is around us and the sinfulness that we are capable of. And we can't be neglectful of how we are influenced by this world system. And John says that the overriding tool to doing this, the overriding tool for competing in this world is by purposefully, with all your energy, not loving the world. Purposefully. With the undergirding motivation of if we do love the world, well, the Father's love is potentially not in there. No, no, no. We must love our Father. That should, that should rattle our bones that there could be anything in our life which is potentially suggesting that I don't love my Father in heaven out of our love for our great God, for what he has done for us. For sinners who are so undeserving, we must be highly motivated to say, no. I must protect my life from this thing that is trying to influence me. I give you my life, O oh Lord. I give you my love. I give you my affections, my everything. I want my life to bring God glory. And we know that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians calls it walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called. I want my life to be worthy. 
will understand that a part of your life exists in a place that is designed to hate God, is designed to cause you to sin against your God. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed into the image of his Son. Our goal as Christians is to be like Christ, who is sinless. Now, we'll never be sinless, but that is the Christian life, to pursue that. It is an honor to pursue that. Why? Because while we are pursuing that, we are bringing God glory with our lives. In reality, we should have no problem hating sin. In reality, we should have no problem hating the world, hating the things of the world. Well, now you're probably thinking, whoa, Matt, you're using a different word. You weren't talking about hate before. Now you're talking about hate. You just said I shouldn't love it. Well, go ahead and tell, this, go ahead and tell your spouse that uh, you don't hate the thing that opposes her, that you don't hate the thing that hates her or him. I don't hate it. Psalm 97.10 tells us this. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Okay. Romans 12.9 says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Why should it be easy to hate sin? And then, as a response, the sinful system that is in the world because these are the things that we were saved from. We were saved from our sin. These are the things that were damning us to hell for eternity before we were saved of them. When the Lord graciously opened our eyes and He showed us the truth of our sin sinfulness and then on top of that our deserving punishment, we should have immediately had a disdain and a hatred for that sin. Resulting in what? Our crying out to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness. Taking advantage of what he's offering us. It's like waking up and realizing what team you're on and who your coach was. What should be the response when you have that understanding? Run. I don't want to be a part of that team. I don't want to be a part of that system. I'm not trying to function like them. I have a different objective. And I don't want to be a part of a team that is working against that. This is a heart that is then what? Propelled into a life of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming conformed into the image of, of Christ. And obviously that's a life devoted to fighting sin. And if you are devoted to fighting sin, you will find very appealing all of the tools that Scripture gives you to help you do that. And the Apostle John is saying, yeah, you want one? Don't love the world. Understand it. Understand how it functions so that you know how to respond. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be attracted to the things designed to cause us to sin. But let me, let me preface one thing. All this hate, hate sin, hating the world system, not telling you to hate people. There's a distinction here. We're not to hate people, right? People are the mission field. We're called to go out into this world to do what? Make disciples of people, right? We were those people. We were people functioning at one time in that world system and we were saved, what, out of it? People is not where our hatred goes towards. It's the system that enslaves them. The system that has people working against God. 
hating God. It's a system that then infiltrates our lives often in tempting us to sin. We want to be sad for people, not mad. Because sadness results in compassion. Sadness results in a longing for people to be saved, which results in a motivation to go out into the world, which results in prayer for salvation. Lord, be merciful, save these people like you saved me. And then what is the first thing we do when someone gets saved? We help that we bring them into the church system. Out of that system, into the church system. Why? Because the church system is designed to help them function and flourish as a Christian and bring glory to God. John's final lesson to us is to have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. And I called it a perspective that is past the stadium. He says in verse 17, The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. How many of you know that this is not your home? That's what having an eternal perspective means. Understanding that this right now is very temporary. This is not our home. Like the old song, this is not my home, I'm just a passing through. It's important to have that. Why? It's important to have that because it emboldens us. It emboldens us in our defense against the temptations that will inevitably come against us, that we will inevitably have inside of us. Right? We all know the feeling of being lured in by the world. We all know. We've all been there. We've all felt that. Right? We know what it feels like to want to fit in, to be involved, to join in with whatever the world is doing. We totally get that. And oftentimes resisting these things feels like a lot of work, and it is. But it's the most satisfying work, and it should be. Because what? It draws us closer to our Savior, and it pleases Him. And that should make us happy. That should make us content. We should be very motivated to be doing things that make us more like our Savior. And that means understanding the world so that we can function in it and not sin not be influenced by it. Besides, it would be foolishness to be too much involved in something that our verse says is going to pass away. We have to settle in on that. What Scripture says is the truth. Christ is coming again. Having an eternal perspective is not just, well, one day I will be in heaven with the Lord or on the new earth with the Lord for eternity. And that's a long time it is especially compared to this. That is our eternal perspective. But the eternal perspective is also that Christ is coming to bring us there. And it can happen at any time. So let us be aware of that. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a very famous saying in life where it says, when Christ comes, I want to be found ready. Or I want to be found busy. Or I want to be found faithful. Faithfully doing what? Opposing the team of the world not intermingling and sort of being indifferent, but being very purposeful about the team that I play for, keeping the team that I don't play for at arm's distance so that I am in control, so that I don't sin. Why? Because Christ is coming. I don't want to sin. We will be with the Lord for eternity. This is all passing away. It should motivate us. We're not missing out on anything. We are the ones who are going to have the blessing. We are the ones who benefit at the end. We know that Satan's rule over this world is coming to an end. And it's not just the quiet resignation. 
It's a catastrophic eternal punishment that he's facing. And guess what? The system goes along with him. And those who loved him in this world goes along with him too. But the believers in Jesus Christ will live forever with God. This is our eternal perspective we must have because it's motivating. If you knew exactly where you're going, you will prepare for it. If you knew exactly where you're going, you would prepare for it. You and I both, all of us, will stand before God one day. What do we want to hear? Good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done what? Maneuvering through this world. What else do we have to do? Maneuver through this world so that we can be faithful servants. So we can be obedient, knowing that this world is designed to hold us back from that, to trip us up from that. But it does. It takes a hatred of sin. A hatred of sin that helps us maneuver through the world. A hatred that forces us closer to what? The source of our help, the Word of God. We understand that there's a game going on out there and it's working against me. I need to know. I need to know how to play. We have our own playbook. We better know it. Because the enemy, they, knows their, they know their playbook real well. We should know our playbook. It's a motivation to be in the work. So I hope this is motivating. I hope this is reaffirming. I hope this is planting in your heart just a new and clear understanding of what's going on in life. It's not neutral. We've got a job to do. We want to win this game, right? We're on the winning team, praise God, and we know how it ends. We win. But in the meantime, we have to fight the good fight of faith. And that means, first and foremost, not sinning. Giving God glory with our personal lives. And the Apostle John says, one way to do that is by understanding the world, not loving it, and knowing how to function through it. motivates us to play differently, motivates us to play with compassion. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're so grateful for the Word of God, your truths which you have given us, which enable us to know you, which enable us to love you the way that you deserve to be loved, and which enables us to live in this life in a way that is glorifying to you. Let that be our main goal. Let that be our desire to bring you glory with our lives. Let us see being conformed into the image of Christ as the ultimate, ultimate privilege. So much so that we are motivated and driven to do whatever it takes to do that. To be honoring to you. To be faithful. To be obedient. And we know this world around us, it's difficult, Lord, with the with the lusts that come from inside of us. We ask that you would give us strength. We ask that you would give us clarity, help us to understand the world that we live in, that we would be faithful. That you would under, help us understand the value of the scriptures, that we must get this in our hearts, that it might come out of us in faithful service to you. Thank you for giving us the gift of salvation, something that we could never earn and something that we could never deserve, yet you freely gave to us, saving us from the sin that is in this world. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Lord. Thank you for your generosity and your kindness to us. We love you, O oh God. Help us to continue to grow in our love for you. Help us to continue to grow in our service to your church. Help us to continue to grow in our devotions to knowing your word. We pray all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior, and Master.